Wednesday right here, 5 o'clock. Here is Miami, Florida, Winwood District, uh, La Pata, Winwood Risk District. Winwood Radio is the spot. 5 o'clock Wednesdays, p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I am your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier. Check out my website, I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram, I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. Both handles the same. What an incredible show coming your way. And as always, you may access any of my previous shows. I think we're, we're beyond the 100 show mark now. And you may access those at my website or something called Mixcloud. You can get probably 65% of those shows on iTunes and Google Play. And as of a couple weeks, you may now catch Discussions of Truth. That is what you're listening to on iHeart Radio. Tune in if you like to tune in. You may catch the shows on TuneIn as well. Last week, last week we had an incredible guest, as always. Look, this program, since its inception, has been very fortunate to grab incredible guests. Carl Denninger, a couple weeks ago, founder of the Tea Party. Cynthia McKinney has been on the program. Six-term congresswoman out of Atlanta. Charlotte Eisenbitt spoke very deeply in regards to Skull and Bones out of Yale. How did she know about Skull and Bones? A guy named Anthony Sutton contacted her. Her father was a member, as well as her grandfather. That's the oldest fraternity at Yale University. The oldest. And probably the most difficult to understand what they do. So the list is expansive. And if you haven't looked at the guest list, I urge you to do so. Last week, Richard Lighthouse, an American author and researcher, currently an executive in the energy industry based out of Texas. He holds a master's of science, mechanical engineering, in fact, Stanford University. And in that episode, he spoke incredibly deeply about the global banking system. And in fact, he says Lloyd's Banking Group out of London has a market capitalization exceeding 2.4 quadrillion USD. And that he takes off of Yahoo Finance. And he was researching so peculiarly out of Yahoo Finance that they caught on to what he was on to and they started adjusting numbers. Oh, yeah, he means business. He'd like to find a lawyer to, to go after a couple of different people. Richard Lighthouse. He also spoke briefly about how the U.S. Air Force is tracking you. And if you're in the U.S., he's tracking you. It's, they're tracking you right now. The Block 3 satellites have, have the ability to track 800 million people. So that's Richard Lighthouse, and that was last week. And next week, the program will be hosting former Deputy Prime Minister from Canada, Paul Hellyer. Yes, he'll be discussing various topics as to what the gentleman knows. And his current book, He's most, possibly most well-known for the Money Mafia. But his current book, Hope Restored, is a basic memoir of his 95 years on the planet. Yes, the man is 95 years, and he'll be joining discussions of truth with what he knows, because there's a darn good chance that he knows a tad more than what the average person knows. 95 years of living on the planet? And having hobnobbed 
and having held the titles and chairs that he's held for the Canadian government, I don't think he's any type of lightweight, if that makes sense. And so he will be joining Discussions of Truth next week. And momentarily, from London, England, will be joined with Tony Gosling. He's the owner of Bilderberg.com, so we will be venturing down the Bilderberg path. And I will be right back with Mr. Gosling. You've tuned in and listening to Discussions of Truth with Ian Hamilton Trottier. Once again, check me out at iantrottier.com. That's I-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R.com. Donate 50 bucks to the program. Get a incredibly comfortable shirt. Impeach mass media. Yes, stop mass media. Be right back with Tony. Yeah, you know, in these times when we might get exiled to the gulag for speaking the way we are, you have to see it as a sign of hope that the people that have been really mistreated in this country are now the people that are standing up for what's right for saying you have to close these frontiers you cannot keep taking from the earth we have to start caretaking we have to start taking care of each other we have to invest in wind power and energy we can't just rape the earth for the fossil fuels and these are the people that are in the forefront it's when you look at it that way it is a real sign of hope and they're coming with a message of peace did you find i mean because it has to be a lot of anger uh or people just frustrated especially after the water cannons and everything how do they keep kind of this you know and also people that are struggling with their own issues how how do they keep people in a state of peace it was really peaceful, right, Peter? Yeah, I, I think the, the directives, I mean, there were no real, well, there were directives. that They, they did insist that this was ultimately a, a, a peaceful gathering, a prayer camp. Mm-hmm. Um, and they sort of, they sort of um, didn't encourage they certainly didn't encourage violence, even in the, even in the actions. So, so people were, they, they respected. The elders, they respected the, the you know, the, the direction, directives that were given. What about the, I can see the elders, but the young, the young men. No, the young they no. respected, no. Yes, Metallica, as always. And I think I had my mic running, so you may have caught a little bit of that. But we have joined with us on Discussion of Truth, Tony Gosling. Tony, are you there? Can you hear me? Hi, Ian. Yes, I certainly am here. Thank you for joining us here in Miami. Uh, Tony, you are in, uh, well, I know you're in the UK. Are you in London? Bristol. Um, I'm afraid we're, we're the guys that discovered you guys. Um, well, actually, no, the Native Americans did, didn't they, to begin with? But we sent out <laughs> a, uh, we sent out a, um, uh, a guy called John Cabot. Uh, in 1497, yep. I believe, who came to Newfoundland. Right. One, just one little crazy quirk about that, which people might like to know. Uh, the two greatest tidal reaches in the world, one is up in Newfoundland and the other one is here in Bristol. So the that's when I, what I was saying is that the tide goes up and down more than anywhere else in the world in those two places, and that's where John Cabot set off from, and where where he landed. And of course, the rest of it is history because the Brits ended up controlling most of uh, North America, and the Spanish controlling most of South America. And so um, um, places like uh, New York, etc., were put there by um, by uh, the sort of North Europeans. <laughs> Anyway, so that's where I am. I'm in Bristol. Uh, we're an old Templar port. Um, but if you go back to medieval times, this is where the Knights Templar were sailing their ships backwards and forwards and doing their dastardly work, um, creating the world's first multinational corporations and particularly doing the uh, the first multinational bank. And 
there, there was a lot of you know dodgy stuff going on in those days besieging constantinople which was the the headquarters of uh, sure. the eastern church and so bristol's got an interesting history i think uh, you know a very very a beautiful natural port so you have to come through that something called the avon gorge which is beautiful uh, waterway uh, it's not quite as big as the grand canyon but it suppose it's what the americans would say as a canyon uh, and then at the end of the canyon you get the the port of bristol and that's where we are yeah i think i think many americans are a, a, a tad bit naive as to uh, really the roots of where they came from and um, and and certainly the founding fathers and the men that wrote the Constitution by majority were of British uh, heritage. Um, so fine, That's right. fine I mean, lineage. There's also um, there's also uh, I think a, a horrendous legacy. Really, of, I mean, I, I think we're talking about around about a hundred million slaughtered in both halves of South powers uh, and so it's by no means uh, a uh, something to be proud of um, and I think there's you know there are arguments say that uh, you know some of the people were back uh, the behavior of the colonialists was just absolutely disgusting and appalling and uh, one person I don't know if you if you're familiar with is Professor Anthony Hall has done a fantastic I think brilliant yeah. job in digging up the uh, the um, he's a Canadian professor, and uh, it, it's done a book called Earth into Property, and that's exactly what happened when the colonialists arrived. Is this uh, uh, shared resource, the Earth, the planet Earth, and uh, the 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 Earth of the United States, what is now, was turned into private property and divided up, and so one person can have this bit and someone else can have that bit, and then what started to then dissolve, as it had done in England and other parts of Europe. Uh, was the idea that this is a resource that we all need. And uh, no, it became personal property and private property of specific individuals after that. But then, uh, you know, of course, the United States broke away from Britain. Um, can't say I blame them, to be honest with you. And uh, and uh, we've now got um, what, what seems to be a kind of rogue state. The US is a rogue state. The Br British are not much better, but uh, they seem to be driving from the Pentagon all sorts of problems around the world and being the sort of uh, powerhouse of misery for many people, particularly in the Middle East. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very well said. I think there's uh, an, an, an exhaustive, by many, many Americans' viewpoint, uh, abuse of power. And that was, that was demonstrated at its height. And now, now it's... Now it's like there's a well, I, I I'll hold back with with some of my language, but 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 under the Bush administration, that's what I'm getting at as far as the exhaustive, uh, grossly abuse of power. And then we've got uh, the, the current president that uh, you know, I, if you look at a guy like a JFK, where both parties really loved, uh, regardless of your political view, it seemed like most Americans love that guy. Um, to where you've got now, where it seems like regardless of your party. You despise the guy, or you find fault. Well, that's right. I mean, well, I think really we disgusting. should start talking about our governments. We should start talking about our governments as regimes, really. I mean, <laughs> we hear about. I mean, we're hearing on the news every night here about the Maduro regime in Venezuela. This is just a really very, very cheap propaganda term used by corrupt ma ma mass media um, propagandists. Uh, and actually, our own governments are very unpopular. I mean, here in Britain, we've got a minority government with Theresa May doesn't even have a majority in the House of Commons. Wow. Uh, you know, so there's it's rather rich for her and others, particularly the press, to be criticising Vladimir Putin, who's got something like a 65, 70 percent approval rating. You know, basically, the Russian people are much more to slap him on the back than they are to punch him in the face. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think you probably find they're almost the opposite here in Britain is the austerity that's being imposed is just cr crushing society you know basic public services are being decimated and in the meantime what we're seeing over in china this week is the russian communist party bless them and president xi who who am i to say that what he says is not true because i might end up in jail over there if i say disagree with him but uh, that aside he's he's doing a massive public spending program he's cutting taxes uh, which is amazing, really, to think that uh, in order to help get out of recession that he would do that. Um, and there's a much more enlightened policy, it seems, in, in communist China than there is in, and, and in fact, totalitarian countries than there is in, uh, we, we've got in the so-called democratic West, a complete and utter obsession with money, and people are just uh, left on the scrap heap.
Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to throw – you mentioned an Anthony Hall, and I'm not familiar with Anthony Hall, and, and, and I'll look into him. But, uh, but I want to throw actually another um, uh, a, a British uh, fellow, a citizen, uh, scholar, your way, by the name of Anthony. Are you familiar with Anthony Sutton, a former Stanford Hoover fellow? Born in London. Certainly, yeah. He's yeah, an amazing guy. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think de rigueur, for anybody that wants to really understand the way the world works, one of the most fascinating things that he did is he explained how, how Henry Kissinger was making sure that the Soviet Union had uh, the uh, manufacturing capacity for not just for um, top-notch military hardware, but also nuclear weapons. So Anthony Hall did an amazing job, I think, in, in, in many, many ways in uncovering the Anthony hidden um, links that, sorry, Anthony, Anthony Sutton, sorry. yeah, uh, the hidden, the hidden um, funding for Hitler and the hidden funding for Bolshevism uh, by Wall Street. And of course, the City of London was involved in that too. But I think mainly Wall Street money was behind Hitler and behind Bolshevism. So it was almost as if there was a deliberate attempt to create these two opposing forces that would then battle away with each other and you know subsume most of the rest of the world in their conflict and i think we're looking at actually quite a similar thing today with the two opposing sides this time being china and the united states uh, with we're we talking about trump withdrawing from the intermediate nuclear forces treaty and the russians saying reluctantly well we're going to have to do the same there's no point us being in this treaty if the americans aren't and that actually means that there's more likely to you know this is the scary thing yeah. is we've now got the We've now got the U.S. having a manufacturing program of mini nukes. Now, this is the first time we've seen anything like this kind of nuclear weapons technology being prepared and being manufactured. And the, the, the hideous thing about these mini nukes is that what they do is they make it easier for battlefield commanders to turn a conventional war into a nuclear war, because this has always been the problem. It, you know, For anyone that wants to see the use of nuclear weapons, and there are some people that want to see it, certainly were during the Cuban Missile Crisis amongst the top American generals. But uh, anyone that wants to see nuclear weapons actually used is going to have all sorts of problems actually getting the first use. But what the W76-2 mini nuke that's now in production in the US allows those commanders to do is to use the first first use of a nuclear weapon in a very small scale. So that then is the idea is that's the tip of the iceberg. It violates all treaties. Uh, I mean, the Americans have, have pulled out of the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear deal. And it does seem as if we've got a rogue state now. Poor old Bill Bloom that died recently, the brilliant American writer, wrote a book about the Americans called Rogue State. Uh, I mean, my own background, yeah. um, Ian, is, is in uh, broadcasting here in Britain. And I worked for uh, over a year for the main BBC um, radio station for London. It was called GLR at the time, Greater London Radio. And we had a fantastic, what I can tell you was a real buzz. We were doing things which are critical of the government, for example. We see very, very little of that on the BBC nowadays. Uh, and there's been a complete culture change in the BBC since then. Uh, and in fact, I can see it. And Tony, this is a time span of what, a couple of years? No, this is, well, I was working there. I started working for the BBC in 1989, and that was 1991, round about that time, working in London. Okay. And I saw, at that time, I saw new people being brought into the production offices, new people being brought in amongst the senior staff, production staff. Uh, the actual news editor I worked for, James Cameron, was a fantastic guy, actually. He was absolutely up for beating the competition, being very fair, a brilliant broadcaster. Right. And he he was being sort of browbeaten a bit as well by the staff, um, some of the production staff, uh, in, you know, into uh, being, being more pro- uh, government basically so so if the government has got a point of view we will we, we should stick to it because they're democratically elected and the BBC is funded by the government actually it's not it's just the staff are appointed so at that time there was senior staff in the BBC were slowly it was slowly working its way down through the system we could see it started to see it in the production um, and news uh, news offices and uh, well the newsroom and the production office were one at GLR and we could see these people coming and think who the hell are they you know and they're, they're starting to push things in a more pro-establishment direction and stop criticism of the authority so that that big change in the mass media has been really led by the BBC 
in Britain because it was very much an independent-minded place. I was independent-minded. Many of the people that worked there were. And that's one of the reasons, I suppose, that I didn't stop doing broadcasting completely. Having learnt the skills, you, you think to yourself, well, look, this is too important just to right. allow some faction to move in and start to brainwash people because that's effectively what we're getting. Just to give you one example, right? I mean, it, a lot of this seems to hinge on people's attitudes to Israel and Zionism. And uh, we've had on Monday this week, we've had uh, the Labour leader, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, saying that Britain should ban all arms sales to Israel. He said this after waiting about 10 months after a UN inquiry into the mass shootings by the Israeli army of protesters, unarmed protesters in uh, Gaza. Um, and that inquiry came out of the weekend. On Monday, the leader of the opposition here in Britain called for a ban on arms sales to Israel, and not a single news outlet in Britain reported that. Oh, my goodness. So that's the sort of bias that we're now seeing in the press. It really is getting towards Hitlerian standards of propaganda. And so I suppose that's why I keep on doing what I'm doing, because I can see that we've got to have at least some uh, more fair bias, unbiased reporting, although, of course, I'm very biased against the, the corporate media. Uh, you know, I look around the world, I see what's brewing up, as I was saying earlier, with uh, this war between China and the United right. States. I think it's pretty clear how it is likely to unfold. And we just need to be aware and, and to stop it. Basically, you need to be aware of what's going on, uh, which is trying to get a conflict going between right. um, Iran and Israel. Uh, once that was to start, you almost certainly get uh, the Americans yeah. coming in on the Israeli side, uh, at which point, you know, in Syria, if the Israelis, as they almost certainly will be, will be, will be fighting in Syria against the Iranian forces there, uh, you will then be getting American troops embroiled with fighting Russian troops. If those two powers start to uh, get engaged, then we're going to be looking at the Chinese coming in on the side of the Russians. So that's what I'm saying is that, that I'm, you know, I'm not saying that this is going to happen. All I'm saying is we need to make sure it doesn't because this is an incredibly dangerous scenario that right. seems to be being cooked up uh, right at this very minute. And the the, the whole censorship uh, 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 movement, which is being orchestrated by uh, obviously elements above the uh, the average person, um, that is an attempt to keep the people where they are. There's a common, there's a common word used in, in the alternative angle, which is sheeple, right? So you, you censor the people and you keep that momentum going. And, 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 of course, Paul Craig Roberts, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Paul Craig Roberts, but he's a senior yeah. economist on yeah, the Reagan sure. administration, joined the program uh, last year. And he says, he says, Ian, you, you, you don't even have any, you have no clue, but you have, you and Americans, the average American citizen has, has no constitutional rights. It's been completely obliterated. That was from his viewpoint. And, you know, he's got, he's, I think he was, uh, he was a fellow at Oxford. Uh, so, well, listen, I'm, I'm not sure what Paul Craig Roberts would have to say about this, but my analysis now is that we've got a feudal system. Effectively, you're talking about uh, committees of individuals meeting behind the scenes to right, decide right. our fate. We're talking about, I mean, I think probably the best example you can do, give is to look at Italy, the way Italy was being run in the 1980s. And it was all exposed through something called the P2 scandal, where a Masonic group, which was led by the fascist Licio Gelli, who died, I think it was actually about 18 months ago. I mean, he was the master of this lodge, P2, Propaganda Due. And they were they had on as part of that Masonic group, they were meeting two or three times a week. They had all the chiefs of police. They had the chiefs of the um, defence, various defence, the Air Force, this sort of thing. They, they had newspaper chiefs. They had bankers. They had heads of big multinational corporations in Italy, all deciding what was going to happen in the country. Uh, at those meetings, none of which were in any way covered by the press, because, of course, the press bosses were in there. And this is where I suppose we come to looking at the Bilderbergs, which is one of the things that I've picked up on over the years, begun by uh, the Polish guy, Joseph Rettinger, who was working for MI6, set this group up along with Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands, a former SS officer, um, in 1954. So exactly 10 years after the Battle of Arnhem, in the same spot as the Battle of Arnhem, pretty much, in the village of 
Osterbake, which was on the edge of Arnhem, where the big slaughter happened of the British paratroopers, uh, that's where they started these meetings. And okay. and uh, Bilderberg, many people know and understand now, is basically a corporate lobbying group. It's right. for the big business and where they get to choose who's going to be the next politicians. Well, we can vote. We only get to vote, you know, maybe for two different major parties. <laughs> And they're, they're, yeah, they're two of their candidates. And, and this is one of the reasons we've got all these uh, shenanigans going on in Britain now with a fake anti-Semitism scandal against Jeremy Corbyn is because the Labour leader is not one of the Bilderberg-friendly candidates. He's not the guy that they want. And so they want to make sure that, that he's kicked out and some fake a puppet individual will be head of the Labour Party, someone like Owen Smith, who stood against Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, and what we're doing is we're, we're, I suppose, doing our best to make sure that uh, that at least there is some kind of real opposition here in Britain. And so what happens as soon as you get someone like Corbyn, who is a real opposition, then there's all sorts of witch hunts against him and uh, and he's vilified right. in the press and attacked at every possible stage. And, and it bears no relevance to reality what's happening. And of course, when he says something important about the banning of arms sales to Israel, well, the press just totally ignore him. And that's why the, the press is, is so important. I think it's so important still to carry on doing podcast journalism, anything I can really, uh, in order to make sure at least that there is some uh, counter analysis to the the propaganda narrative which has been um, put out almost all the time these days. Um, I mean, the other thing, of course, is is the way the relationship between Britain and Saudi Arabia and the US and Saudi Arabia. I mean, this is the the country which doesn't have any democracy; it's just a monarchy, a dictatorship, uh, and. Everyone seems to have forgotten the Saudi role in 9-11, you know, uh, the alleged hijackers being Saudis, bin Laden, who's supposed to be the organiser, being sure. Saudi, sure. you know. So I don't quite understand how it's such an important thing to be supporting Saudi Arabia, this funny little country which was created by the British under the Sykes-Picot Agreement at the uh, enduring World War One, And... Um, you know, and then there's this amazing relationship between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia, uh, oil flowing one way and money flowing the other way. And, and then um, uh, Wahhabi, Wahhabism coming out of it, which is this kind of new brand of Islam, relatively new anyway, which says that you've got to kind of be a slightly crazed jihadi and join some kind of jihadi force and pick up a gun. You know, you've got to do this is this is what really bothers me, Ian, is that that religion and faith has been twisted and used to pull on people's heartstrings. You know, it's been suppressed generally basic ideas of faith, you know, and religion and the idea of God for Muslims, Jews and Christians has been kind of squashed into in a secular world and a secular mass media too. very little, you know, real uh, expression of spirituality and through the mass media. And what people have got instead is this fake version. So we're talking about things like Christian Zionism, which says oh, Netanyahu basically is, is doing God's work. And, you know, we've just got to follow him, and pray for him and he will bring about the kingdom of heaven. You know, this is what the Christian Zionists actually honestly think that by, you know, suppressing and killing Palestinians that, that Netanyahu can do this. And on an equal side, you know, similar similar sort of thing with the Wahhabists, you know, so that's been pushed, the Christian Zionists and um, the Jewish Zionists as well, you know. So this whole idea of the creation of a state of Israel, that is allow um, racist and they've now brought in this nation-state bill in Israel, it is getting worse and worse there. And it almost seems as if there are some Zionists that want to inflict on the Palestinians the same sort of treatment that the Nazis inflicted on the Jews in the Second World War. So it's a broad, it's a broad brush to, to paint with, and, and, it's, a, and it's an even longer stroke. But if, if you look at, for instance, the, the information that, 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 that has been discussed between the two of us, or, or primarily from you, uh, over, over the course of the past uh, 15, 20 minutes. If you take that contextually, and let's, 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 let's hone in on the research that uh, Dr. Sutton had done and, and, and presented, um, yeah. and, and it led to him being booted, uh, basically walked away, but he was threatened with, with being fired from Stanford because of the information he divulged in a 1972. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was sacked, really. I mean, he yeah. resigned just like literally minutes before he was sacked, you know, so that's not really a resignation. 
but 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 this is if you look at if you look at that, then you can kind of see. Oh wait, nine eleven makes sense. How it could be completely construed and engineered and manipulated to um, to 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 usher in uh, a, a new a new world order. Oh my goodness! All right, so well, so you take well, a, I, well I think. I think it's uh, okay. So I think I mean nine eleven was an attempt to define the twenty first century. So you know it's, it happened just at the beginning of the twenty first century, and the idea was this is going to be our century, yeah. the military industrial complex century. Um, and the other thing is, I think one of the most fascinating developments. I mean, I think what's happened in China was kind of almost inevitable, really, uh, becoming increasingly authoritarian. Mm-hmm. Actually, quite a lot of sensible decisions being made though about state control of infrastructure, which I think is necessary. You know, you've got to have, you know, things like your roads, your water supplies, all your basic things. The state should be making sure that those are happening and delivered at cost, not through some kind of racket, you know, which happens in many parts of the Western world nowadays. But the most interesting thing, I think, is what's happened in Russia. What what we saw um, in the 1990s under Yeltsin uh, was the rape of Russia, really. Uh, All of the big state industries, we're talking about everything from Aeroflot to the uh, sort of R- Russian um, steel industry, aluminium industry, everything was just flogged off for literally. We're talking about some of these industries one one hundredth of their value to the wow. Russian oligarchs. Uh, we're talking about people like uh, Kordakovsky, Berezovsky, and these guys basically boarded up for nothing. Um, um, drunken Yeltsin signed a piece of paper that said they could have these things for nothing. And this is really a fraud, theft, etc. And oh, so yeah. what then happened was uh, we had the advent of the Chechen war. Berezovsky is probably, the Boris Berezovsky is probably the most powerful oligarch, being having things like the Mercedes franchise in Russia. He also, uh, also uh, was the owner and controller of NTV, which was the first... Uh, real independent private TV channel in Russia. Obviously, that gives him a lot of clout. And uh, he was involved in trying to get the Second Chechen War started in 99. And there were a couple of bombings in and around Russia, uh, some, something that, well, I mean, it's it's called the Moscow Ryazan bombings. And there's a book called Blowing Up Russia by Alexander Litvinenko. And, and uh, Litvinenko later died of polonium. That's the guy here. So... Those bombings uh, right. w- happened when um, Putin was acting prime minister. Okay. Yep. And Berezovsky and Putin covered up for Berezovsky. So he said, oh, okay, well, we won't really be looking into this. And, and because Berezovsky wanted to get this war going, these false flag attacks and Russian tower blocks, apartment blocks, you call them. Um, loads of people died in these attacks. But uh, but basically, Putin, who was working at the time in the, you know, as an as a interim prime minister, uh, did actually just kind of swept it under the carpet. And when Berezovsky saw that, he thought, well, this is my guy, you know. This is the someone politician I can have who's a native Russian. He knows the KGB back to front, and I can trust him. He, he'd actually been in the early nineties, I believe, been skiing in Switzerland with Putin as well, so uh-huh. he knew him from a long time back. And so then he says, "All right, I'm going to back you, Putin, for to be president to take over from after, after Yeltsin. I think you'll be more credible than Yeltsin. He was just a drunk, you know. This you could look really good as a president. So when when Putin took over in two thousand. The first thing Putin did when he became president was to turn the tables on Berezovsky. And uh, he he then dug up a whole load of old files which had been spiked by Yeltsin, which was to do with the privatisation of Aeroflot, illegal privatisation, fraud uh, of Aeroflot. And, um, and then he said he phoned up his mate Berezovsky and said, look, I'm really sorry, but these uh, prosecutors are going to be coming to get you in the morning. I'm just phoning you because I'm an old mate of yours saying if you get on a plane tonight you'll be okay hmm. um, so that's when Berezovsky flew flew out of the country and of course he was chief oligarch and Putin did a very good job I think as a KGB man and he had identified who was the basically the mafia don in his country and he made sure that he was forced out which of course then sent the right message to all the other uh, oligarchs uh, in the country and since that time Putin has made it clear to the oligarchs in Russia that they can carry on doing their gangster things but they have to understand that the government is number one gangster so you start messing with the government you're going to find yourself either in jail or in exile so that's um, been effective and, for him, yeah. and it's been very effective so the Russians the Russia is now I suppose I, you could say the pepper in the soup 
with the world order. So they are able to be a kind of counterbalance uh, in between United States and China. And they have certainly have been in the Middle East. You know, they've intervened in Syria and they stopped this uh, insane idea of the Pentagon that they are going to uh, help Israel dominate the Middle East. They're going to balkanize the Middle East and they're going to take over. The reason the Middle East has been such a focus is not just oil, by the way. It's because it's the pivot of Africa, Asia and Europe. It's an extremely important area to dominate the russians have said well we're having syria you can have your other bits and pieces but you're not kicking us out and uh, i think they've done a fantastic job really in sending a very clear message to the world that the americans are no longer in a position to do what they want Good. Uh, even if they're even if they've got the backing of the europeans and by the way uh, they haven't got the backing of the germans anymore that's for sure uh, the germans are now starting to really kick back against what the uh, united states seems to be demanding see if the americans want a war with Russia in Ukraine or anywhere else, uh, the Germans are trying to do everything they can to make sure that that war doesn't happen here in Europe. You know, if the Americans want to pick a fight with the Russians, <laughs> yeah. then, I mean, you're going to have to go across the Bering Straits. We don't want to have uh, <laughs> another war here in Europe. Yeah, thank you very much. And it might even be that if the if the push comes to a shove, as it's happened in Turkey, as it's happened in Turkey, uh, you know, the Americans will be elbowed out of uh, some of their bases in Europe and and told, um, no, if you want to go and have a fight, you're going to have to go off in the other direction over the Pacific or something. Well said, Tony. Well said. Uh, so, Tony, t- connect something here with your research uh, on the Bilderberg Group. How, how do the Russians thread into that? Well, they are certainly not part of the Bilderberg, you know, no way. Um, the Bilderberg is just NATO, really. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a power lobby um, into governments from the NATO countries. So you'll see some other people at these conferences, but the real power behind it is the military power, NATO power. And uh, I think it's pretty clear to me that the military-industrial complex have decided that they want to to join umbilically. Uh, United States and Europe together so that they speak with one voice but I'm afraid you know you can't make the what is it over a billion people all speak with one voice because they've got different interests yeah. we need to have a plurality and that and what's happened with Bilderberg and Kissinger of course is a major figure in that we've now got people like uh, Eric Schmidt and Peter Thiel it's been an interesting change over the years with Bilderberg that it's gone from being bankers like David Rockefeller to the tech giants in charge you know Uh, so okay so PayPal is also banking obviously Peter Thiel Um, but then we've had uh, you know the 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 Facebooks the LinkedIn's the Amazon's you know we've got this whole sort of brave new uh, tech giant world of these people that think that they can know everything about us you know everything that we write uh, on our phones on our computers is all stored by them somewhere on our gmail account or wherever it happens to be and they know everything about us and so we've got a kind of international intelligence service that's developed through the tech giants uh, which would rival um, almost any other uh, state intelligence service known to man you know and i noticed also good, uh, facebook this week exposed in the guardian as going around the world basically threatening governments saying if you do not allow facebook. us to do whatever we want facebook will not invest in your country and we will you, know, you won't get any money from us we won't pay any tax in your country blah 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 uh, and so they have an incredible arrogance these people uh, sure. and that is i think this sits quite nicely with the whole sort of bilderberg thing these are again arrogant people they think they own the planet and they just simply use conferences like that to tell the tell, tell the politicians what to do but then at the end at, when it comes down to it these these tech giants these tech giants are using a platform called the World Wide Web, which was invented by a Brit, Tim Berners-Lee. Yeah, I think, I think yes, Tim, he certainly played a role. But, I mean, DARPA was quite, had a big role as well in creating the Internet. I mean, it was the idea being it was a way of um, uh, communicating in an event of nuclear war. Right. So that uh, if large parts of a, a network got knocked out, that there was always, the whole thing was a massive uh, web you know, as they call it, the World Wide Web, so that the uh, information, for example, if the part of the network is damaged by a nuclear bomb, an H-bomb or 20 H-bombs or something, that the information passing around that communication network would root round that damage. And in a way, the, the Internet see, d- deals with censorship in the same sort of way. Oh, yeah. So when there's attempts to censor things, 
the internet will often find a way to well put up the information in another country, Iceland or somewhere like that, and people can then look at it uh, from a different direction, and they don't necessarily doesn't necessarily have to be published or um, a film um, uploaded in a country which where it where it might cause trouble or be illegal you know so there is i think a a positive benefit to the fact that the internet was created to uh defend against a nuclear attack is that it also defends against quite well against censorship although of course the ownership of the mass media is still quite key you know who owns the transmitters who owns the printing presses um and that i'm afraid is being concentrated in fewer and fewer and fewer hands that's right and we're seeing very very little i mean i was just looking the other day at uh, one of my favorite ever films the life of brian and just to see how it was never nearly never made uh, the the normal film finance people weren't interested in all the massive profits they could make from it. They just didn't like the content, so they decided they weren't going to fund it. Uh, and what happened was, uh, the former Beatle George Harrison stepped in with the money to make the film at the at the last minute. It was just about to be abandoned. And so we've we, we've got a, a capitalism which doesn't just want to make money. It wants to use that money to push its message, and uh, that's why we simply cannot trust the mass media anymore. We have to question everything. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and when it comes down to it, like you're saying, it's, it's it's all coming down. It seems like it's coming down to to banking. So some of these different uh, prestigious, if you will, not, I don't think that's an applicable, uh, it's not a just word to be applying here, but some of these more secretive organizations like the Bohemian Grove or the Bilderberg Group, who are they all kind of channeling into? What's the best foot forward for... The UK, we know this, and we kind of opened the the segment or the show up with with this, saying, "Hey, look, the United States was created by by English people, and what were they what were they what were they basically running from?" I think the same thing that we're talking about: the freedom of expression, the freedom of speech, the freedom of one of the key cogs here, the freedom of religion, right? Because Europe was broken up uh, into from pieces of uh, remnants of what was the Holy Roman Empire, the Roman Empire, and and, and Rome still exists, right? Uh, the Vatican is still a very powerful and wealthy organization. So, how much influence does that former? world empire or empire of power, how much do, do, do those remnants uh, influence uh, the mechanics of the going on and relations of, let's say, American life or British life? And what's the best foot forward for, for the UK at this time? Hey, well, it's a, I mean, it's a loaded uh, question. Clearly, yeah, go ahead. Quite clearly, Brexit is going to be wonderful if it ever happens. I mean, somebody needs to stop the Soviet-style Brussels machine, which is not electing anybody. They basically just put failed politicians, people we vote out, like Neil Kinnock, the failed leader of the Labour Party, who became a European commissioner. Uh, there's a whole load of people that run Europe, that is the commission and the president of the commission are failed politicians. So they put, give them more power rather than less power and let them run um, a union of 800 million people. Uh, it's, this is insane. And also, it's basically run on a cartel basis so that the uh, big industrial cartels uh, get all of the contracts. The small businesses slowly collapse across the continent. And this is what we've seen, particularly here in Britain. I mean, the whole country has been deindustrialized. You know, we were a major aerospace, um, car manufacturing, steel making, you know, cutting edge technology nation just built Concorde and things like that. You know, the supersonic airliner. And since the uh, joining in 1973 of the common market, the, the early part of the EC, our trade policy has been handled from abroad. So, of course, it doesn't really benefit us anymore. So the whole country has been deindustrialized. Uh, so I think that's that's the way forward is to reassert um, an individual nation states. Even Make the though, UK great uh, again. Well, I don't know. At least, well, look, I, I'm, not, I'm not being jingoistic about this. I yeah. just think that the closer to where you live that the power is exercised, the more likely it is that you're going to actually make the politicians and the bureaucrats behave. If it's a, on a, in a foreign country that, you know, like Brussels <laughs> uh, or Belgium, that that power is exercised, that's a long, long way away. And it's almost impossible for you to actually believe in and have any faith and interest in those politicians. So 
I mean, I, I'm really not a jingoistic type person at all. I just think that we need to be more local. I mean, I think it's the same is true for the United States. It would be great if it was the United States, that the actual individual states did most of their own running their own affairs and the federal government was uh, took a back seat. You know, I, I'd like I think America would be a much, much stronger North America as a result of that. And. Uh, so you, what you get is you get much more representative people running those individual uh, states like we, we should have here in in the EU and in Europe. So there's that. But then there's also I think we need to have some kind of, uh, you know, basically media revolution, you know, where we've got oh, yeah. uh, programs that are worth watching, music that's worth listening to rather than this deliberate dumbed down. I mean, John Cleese, going back to Monty Python. Uh, he he put it very succinctly on Newsnight uh, last year. He said, "The lies and it's the lies and the trivia that I can't stand." And that's all we're getting in our mass media now: lies and trivia. Then, cause the the yellow vests in France, the protest movement, just calls the mass media the lie factory, and that's what it's becoming. It's becoming like we were told as kids the soviet union was we just get lie after lie right. and then the really important things they just get censored and we never hear about them like the call to stop arms sales by the leader of the opposition to israel yeah absolutely it's 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 there's there are and, and I, 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 com- I completely get what you're getting. It's, it's almost like it's, it's the same thing as it going down to your local grocery store. You, you, why, why support something like Walmart when you can go down to your local farmer's market and eat organic, organically grown uh, fruits and vegetables? And, yeah, and, I, think, and I think we need to do, I mean, for a start, I'd say there's a lot we can learn from the sort of Native American way of doing things. For example, the idea of collectivizing. So that is to say that personal private property, uh, when it comes to land, is out of the window. We need to be sharing land. We need to be sharing allotment land to grow food on, this sort of thing. Uh, sharing equipment uh, like, I don't know, plows, this sort of thing, in order to grow food. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that would enjoy being self-sufficient in food and just simply aren't given the land to do it, even though there's lots and lots of spare land out there. So I, I think that when we need to be prepared like the Russians were, actually, uh, in 1990 for the complete collapse of our currencies. And when that happens, oh, we yeah. need to be able to grow food. We need to be able to eat. The Russians can because of the system over there is that, that you've got... Um, these datchers out in the countryside where most Russians go to in the summertime and that they're quite used. It was quite easy for many Russians who'd lost their jobs in the city when in the Great Depression 1990 that they just moved to the country and started eating food that their relatives have been growing and helping them plant and grow more food. But all the time we're disconnected from our supply of food. Uh, then the governments have got a whip hand over us and they can just take our food away and say, look, you know, you're going to take a microchip, sign on the dotted line right. uh, and do as we say and enter the electronic slavery ship right. uh, or you're not going to eat. And that, I think, is, is where we could well be heading with the uh, authoritarian type governments we've got in the West these days. So in, in the final few moments here, we appreciate you being, joining the program, Tony. Uh, you alluded to the, this media becoming a... Uh, a, a a machine that is more uh, uh, it's more it, it's owned by fewer and fewer people really what we're looking at and in peachmassmedia.com it's got a graph by a Swiss based uh, uh, a firm that that shows over the course of the past even three and a half decades how uh, the, the the American media has gone from uh, about 80 different companies down to about six. You know, as far as like owning, it's just it's it's the 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 power is being funneled down into fewer and well, fewer look, hands. Well, I mean, look, listen, the same yeah. is happening in the in the world of the multinational corporations, the big business as well. So power is being concentrated not only in places like Brussels, away from Westminster, into Brussels, away from Paris, and away from Berlin, into Brussels. And I can tell you, European people are not happy about this. Certainly, uh, all of Southern Europe wants to get out of the EU. Uh, and there's a large contingent in France that have been protesting. One of the things of their, uh, their part of their protest is we want to get out of, away from brussels we want to get rid of the euro go back to the franc um and this kind of i think uh, cessation movements i I suppose you call them like what's happened in catalonia is spain the cessation movement and uh, cessation movement there 
is the, the reje rejection of this concentration of power, whether it's corporate power, banking power, political power. Uh, it's going to mean that we want those decisions to be made more locally. And I think there's an increasing awareness, particularly amongst young people, that the current system simply isn't working. The thing is, though, that the oligarchy, of course, are preparing their wonderful solutions that are designed to be sold to young people. And uh, essentially, the media is turned into this kind of hypnosis machine, really, is the idea is to so you, you, you know, they're, they're uh, particularly aimed at the youngsters, uh, more naive and maybe have an experience. Isn't it interesting, by the way, that uh, it's a the generation is now just about dying off who can remember the propaganda and the horrors of the Second World War, just as the oligarchy is preparing another war. So the idea is that the community memory is dying off about World War Two as World War Three is being cooked up. So that, I think, is a major reason why things like uh, the, uh, the attempt, you know, the 9-11 attempt to define this new 21st century, the, uh, the attempt to overthrow Assad in Syria, the attempt to overthrow Maduro in Venezuela, all these things are happening now is because there is what they call a hardening of the sides taking place. Now, this is all related to conflict initiation. If you're going to start a world war, particularly a world war, uh, any kind of war really, you need to first of all uh, make everybody hate the enemy on each side. So, you, you know, it's a bit like 1984, uh, uh, George Orwell book. So everybody's got to hate the other side and there's constant propaganda to make you hate the other side. Now, this is the phase we're seeing, which is a, a pre-World War phase of mass propaganda uh, at the moment here in Britain, I don't know about in the US, but we're getting loads and loads of anti-Russian hate propaganda, which is just, you know, trying to pretend that Putin is some kind of really evil guy. The Russians all hate him and uh, all wow. their intent is, is wicked and evil. Well, no, of course, it's not true. And I would just recommend people to go and visit Moscow, but particularly this summer. Uh, <laughs> it might be one of the last summers you've got a chance to visit it because uh, it's actually a wonderful, welcoming city. And many, many Russians now speak English. I mean, almost all Russians under 30 speak very good English. So it's a great place to visit. Wow. There's some great... Great things in there. Before before we go, Tony, we, uh, for listeners, two things I'd like you to address. One, how do you see this oligarchy break down? Who who is that oligarchy? And then two, whether you're whether you're living in Russia, whether you're living in France, whether you're listening to this in New York, whether you're listening to it in London or or Mexico, as a citizen of the world and and wanting the best for global peace and harmony, what's the best move? for anybody to make, regardless of where they're from. So if you can kind of address those two things before we go. Well, okay, the first one, uh, what can we do? Well, I think the thing is, you know, first of all, you've got to make sure that you are actively seeking the truth. So that is to say, no one's going to tell you the truth through the mass media. I'm not saying switch it off, because they do have some very good BBC, do do some excellent programmes still. But uh, if you're looking for anything really important, you need to go and actually look out for it yourself. Do not expect to be spoon-fed it by any of the mass media. All you'll get that way is lies. So you really need to make sure <clears throat> that you the, the other thing of course is to get active in some way so right. have a look at something that you really think will make a positive change and get involved with others to change things in a, on a grassroots level and i've forgotten what the first question you asked me was sure uh, it, 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 who in, in this in this in this term of, of oligarchy who, who who, who can a listener? Oh, right. Who's the oligarchy? Okay, right. well, okay, so we need to look at secret societies, I think, in oligarchy, as well as the rich and powerful. So it's not just the very obvious people like Kordakovsky, Mikhail Kordakovsky over in in um, Switzerland, who's a criminal oligarch from Russia that Putin has released, maybe some would say stupidly, from jail. And he's now there running a multi-billion pound anti-Putin propaganda campaign. Wow. So these guys, uh, the ex-oligarchs, we've also obviously got oligarchs here in the West who are uh, very powerful hedge fund managers, some of them, some of them just big business people. Um, and I think one of the pl best places to start where you find all these people coming together is at the Bilderberg conferences. Uh, you know, you, we're looking at uh, big financial um, institutions like the Bank for International Settlements. I mean, this is a key right. place to understand where the oligarchy sure. is. They are uh, basically they're running the entire world's money system from a 
independent building which no police even in Switzerland are allowed into in Basel in Switzerland wow. uh, the Bank for International Settlements also nicknamed the Tower of Basel and this is where all the central bankers go to decide what's going to go on with our national currencies and policy and these are the people responsible for the, by the way for deregulating the banking systems around the world that allowed the 2008 uh, financial crisis to happen and by the way it was a bailout it wasn't a crash the crash is coming so another thing you can do is be prepared when that happens and i think the other thing we just need to be ready for any kind of crazy false flag type terror event whenever you see anything being spoon fed on the mass media and we're told x did it you know within half an hour um, and we're going to have to invade Y country, then, uh, you know, our hackles should go up and we should get extremely suspicious right immediately and probably press pray and record because we'll find in a few months' time that they're telling us the total opposite. Uh, because the, it really is, the mass media now really is the lie machine. It's, it's the spearhead of the war machine now. So the very first... Uh, actions of uh, third world war will be taking place on the mass media and the justifications will be being drummed up by the mass media and they'll be saying well we're going to have to invade this country now and of course that will just cause more and more problems and we'll get embroiled in a bigger and bigger conflict which could by the way turn nuclear you know so that's i'm afraid where we are now but we just need to be realistic we don't we must not be afraid of these things just be realistic call a spade a spade and um, prepare for another onslaught, which is, is probably something similar to what we had to put up with in the Second World War. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Tony had some very, very wise words, very concise. Thank you for joining, discussing your truth. Looking forward to inviting you back on the program, Tony. Uh, by the way, just to let you know, the show I do on the radio here in Bristol yes. every week, it's, you can find it at thisweek.org. UK. Uh, it's on a community channel called BCFM. We've just survived an attack by uh, BICOM, which is the wow. Israel in Britain, uh, through something called the UK Lawyers for Israel, um, who were trying to take away, uh, get the show closed down and um, take away the station's license possibly even find the station, which is a charity, uh, a registered charity. Um, and so that I do also, I do the old website that I put together in the 1990s uh, when I was living in Oxford and going through the libraries there uh, called Bilderberg.org, which has got a whole load of history of the Bilderberg conferences, how it all started. An amazing article actually as well from The Economist, uh, which uh, I think was published when uh, the main editor was away on the Christmas holidays. So there's all sorts of interesting bits and pieces that have leaked out about the Bilderbergs over the years. Um, and I also run something called the 9-11 Forum, which is UK 9-11 Truth Campaign's original forum, uh, where we now look at and discuss all sorts of terrorist events as they happen and all sorts of strange political changes like the witch hunt right now going on against Jeremy Corbyn and accusing him of anti-Semitism, which is beyond a joke, really. I mean, the idea that uh, that uh, we've got a racist Jeremy Corbyn is you, you could not find anyone who's any um, less racist than him. And in fact, uh, the people who are attacking him are actually the real racists. So those who unswervingly support Israel seem to dislike Jeremy Corbyn and want to get rid of him. Um, and the, the real problem here is that we're getting no criticism of that from the mainstream press. So they just put out these allegations, as I was saying. These allegations are just trotted out time after time after time as if they are fact, when actually there's no uh, scrutiny of them. Um, and hardly any questioning by the journalists of these allegations. We're in a witch hunt territory. It's very much like the McCarthy era uh -huh. in the United States. In 1947, uh, people just being accused of, are you a communist, are you an anti-Semite, is now the, uh, uh, the equivalent uh, accusation. And um, just as McCarthy was allowed to get away with it for such a long time, uh, it, it's interesting that it was the army, wasn't it? I don't know how much you know about the McCarthy era, but it was when McCar uh, Senator Joe McCarthy started to uh, uh, accuse the American, the U.S. Army, of being um, communists. Right. That's when basically they came for, they came for him, and the whole thing was uh, knocked on the head when that happened. So they've been very careful over here not to. 
uh, attack the British army as anti-Semitic, just Jeremy Corbyn. The whole establishment seems to be going for him because he's a sort of people's hero. He actually appears, when he appears in public, he's like a rock star, you know. Thousands and thousands of people who've only just heard about it that day will rock up and uh, see him do a speech. And so Corbyn is a, is a fascinating figure, and it's great to see that the uh, sensible left, the sort of socialist left, the idea of having a balanced economy with a bit of entrepreneurialism, but some of the basic services like you know, basically telecoms, transport, um, water, gas, electricity, all those sorts of things in, in public hands, which is the way we want it, because it worked very well in the 1950s, 60s, 70s here in Britain, and you know rebuilt us after the Second World War, the socialists mm. did. So we want a bit of a balance, a bit of both, and um, that's what Corbyn is going to deliver if he manages to get to power, if he doesn't get bumped off first or else uh, removed in some kind of coup, of one, one sort of judicial coup or a political coup of some sort. Well said, Tony. Tony, repeat the uh, day and time uh, for that show that you, you – you... Okay, so if you want Greenwich Mean Time, uh, it's, it's between 1800 and – 2000, uh, so that's 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. every Friday. Uh, we run through local politics here in Bristol, so you get a bit of an insight into the running of a major British city, uh, which was for a long time the second city in the country. And uh, and you, well, then we also spread our wings and look a bit further afield, look around the world, see what's going. We'll be looking, taking a close look at Israel, a look at China as well uh, this coming Friday. Excellent. Tony, thanks for joining the program. Look forward to having you back on. Cheers, Ian. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, Tony Gosling. And as far as I'm concerned, what a real pleasure it was to have Tony and his expertise and familiarity with current events and historical events join Discussion of Truth. But there again, this program continues to receive incredible guests. Browse the browse the guest list. I-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-R.com. I will be back with closing comments. Enjoy a little bit of Metallica. Bestnatures.com. Best Natures is a program sponsor. And you know what? They make wonderful, fresh Canadian organic soap. Goat's milk, vegetable base. They have an assortment of some real wonderful soaps. Find them on, on Amazon. Find them at bestnatures.com. Tony Gosling brought up a number of interesting points for you to consider. Let me retract on something that Richard Lighthouse brought to the program last week. And if you simply Google or Yahoo or Bing, whatever your search engine is, put it in. It's all public domain. Put it in to put this in your web browser or your, your web search. Federal Reserve Directors, colon, a study of corporate and banking influence. Put that in. You, it should give you the 1976 staff report 
from the Committee, Committee on Banking, Currency, and Housing for the House of Representatives, 94th edition of Congress, second session. Okay. Again, Federal Reserve B- Directors, colon, a study of corporate and banking influence. August of 1976. That's something that Richard Lighthouse brought to the program. You'll find it very informative as to understanding a little bit more who is involved in your Federal Reserve, because make no mistake about it, it is a central bank. Something that Thomas Jefferson went to combat over Alexander Hamilton with. And then, as you know, Burr stepped in for Jefferson, so Jefferson never actually uh, had a standoff with, with Hamilton. Oh, you think that just to be called to the United States has a massive military, you think perhaps that it's immune to being invaded? It's immune to having, really having its border. You're talking about Trump building a wall, but your borders are being completely dissolved. In more ways than one. But you think that it's immune to having its constitution collapse? No. That's why, that's why I spoke about the Paul Craig Roberts episode. Yes, a former fellow at Oxford and Stanford, lead economist under the Reagan administration, joined this program. Listen to what he had to say in my archive, com. Next week, we will be joined by deputy, former deputy, Canadian Prime Minister Paul Hellyer. And until then, friends, simply do your best and just do it like Nike. Just, just, just do it. Be awesome.